following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Again, I am so grateful that you're here. Um, I'm about to tell you the single most profound statement. God loves you. God loves you. Think about that. Now, as you hear that statement, I want, you to, I want to ask you what goes through your mind. Uh, what, what thoughts begin to race through your mind? For some of you, you might hear that and think, well, of course he does. I'm so lovable, right? You would never say that out loud, but some of you, some of you might be thinking that, that it's not all that surprising that God would love us. I mean, we're pretty good. We're really, you know, lovable. And sometimes we begin to think that we deserve it a little bit. And maybe you're here, and when I say God loves you, that's kind of what races through your mind. Or maybe you're here and you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. And maybe the thoughts that are racing through your head, maybe they're a little different. Maybe you struggle to even be able to believe it. Maybe your experience with love is that it comes and it goes. Uh, Maybe your experience with love is that it's been conditional or it's been based on you or your performance. And and what maybe you have done is you've taken that in your experience and you've brought it into your relationship with with God. And that idea that God loves you, for you maybe it's met with an incredible amount of doubt. Just just doubt. You feel like you haven't earned it and maybe you don't always feel lovable. Lovable. Uh, The statement God loves you should be the most profound statement that we could ever consider. But I fear that it's no longer as profound as it should be. Because if you're here and you think that it's something you earned, if you're here and you think, you know what, I'm pretty lovable, if that's you, then, then the thought of God's love is no longer amazing or profound or incredible. It's expected. And if you're on the other spectrum and you, and you hear God's love and you think it's something that's unattainable, you think it's something that you don't, you will never get, right? The idea of God's love is not beautiful, it's not profound, it's not incredible, it's doubted. In our time tonight, what I want us to do is consider the love of God. And I would like to do that by walking through the most famous scripture in all of your Bible, the most quoted text in all of your Bible, the most memorized text in all of your Bible. So if you have your Bible, would you grab it and would you open with me to John 3? That's right. Love that. John 3, find your place with me in in verse 16. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you, don't, you didn't bring a Bible, um, and you don't want to you know, use an electronic copy, we have a, uh, should be a Bible somewhere around you, a hardback black one. We invite you to use that one. And if you're here, listen, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Um, 
We've had the privilege as a church to give away several cases of Bibles. We love this. And so if you're here and you'd like a copy of God's Word, just find one around you or visit that table in the back. There's a few there. Just grab it. Take it with you. No strings attached. Don't even have to tell us about it. Um, Just read it. Uh, So grab one. We'd love to give you that. Um, Now, what I want to do is I want us to read this incredibly familiar verse, and then we'll take a step back, and we're going to walk through it kind of little by little. This is one of those texts that's not often preached about, but it's often referenced. But we're going to look at it kind of little by little. So with, uh, with me, would you look at John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it begins with the word for. And there's this old saying when you're reading your Bible that if you come across a text and the first word is for or therefore, that you should instantly question why it's there. You should want to know what the therefore is there for, right? And, and so as we come across this and we see for, what it's cueing us is that there's been a foundation laid. So I want, us, I want us to think about that for a second. In John 3, if you were to read John 3, what you would find is that Jesus here is teaching about his future work on the cross. He's teaching here about what he is going to do. He's teaching about the fact that the Son of Man will be lifted up. He's, he's talking about what is going to come, that he, the Son of Man would need to be lifted up in order that eternal life might be given and experienced. And it's so incredible to see here because if you think about it, in a very real sense, Jesus was born to die. He was born with a specific mission to accomplish. And what Jesus was talking about was that specific mission, that the Son of Man would need to be lifted up in order that many might be saved. So now John 3.16 not only is going to talk about the what, what was accomplished, but what I love about, what we all love about John 3.16 is we, we, we get to see the why. Why would this be God's plan? Why would the Son of God need to be lifted up in order that the world might live for the sake of the world? Why? And so our verse, John 3, 16, begins with the word for or because. And he says, for God. Now, I don't want to rush past this because the plan starts with God himself. There's this, uh, in, John, in 1 John 4, 9, he says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is exactly what Jesus was teaching in, in, in ver- or chapter 3 that we just talked about. He's talking about the son needing to be sent and lifted up for the sake of sinners. And then verse 10, listen to this. I love this. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's an incredible statement. It's not that we love God. 
It's not that we chose him. It's not that we crafted this plan of, oh, if we could just get back to him and make it to him. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't that we first loved him, but he loved us. In other words, I want you to hear this. My love for God is a response to his love for me, not a prerequisite. Let me say that again. My love for God is a response to the fact that God loves me. I don't love him so that then he would love me. It's not a prerequisite. The plan begins with God himself. And that fact strikes at the heart of both of these tendencies that we talked about in the beginning. Just lays them bare. The tendency to think, oh yeah, of course God loves me. Or the tendency to think, oh, God could never love me. Both of them are destroyed here because this text so subtly reminds us, nope, this did not start with you. This did not start because of you. God's love for you is not based on your love for him or your lovableness. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. It's not based on how lovable you are. No, it started with God and because of his great love, not that we had first loved him, but that God first loved us. And this just dismantles those tendencies, those misunderstandings about God. It, it, it destroys the tendency. I just wanna, I want you to consider this, to think that you're worthless and that you could never earn God's love, to think that God would never love you, to doubt that God loves you. This just destroys this because it did not start with you. It's not dependent on you. It's not based on you. It started with God because of his perfect love that he has for you. That is incredibly good news. There's a song that I love, and, and it puts it like this. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. This is why the first two words of John 3.16 are so profound and so important. For God. But it doesn't end there. It says, for God so loved. Now, this verse is really familiar, and so often we can read this verse and rush past little words, puny words, like the word so. Don't do that. This word, this little word, so, it communicates intensity. Uh, in other words, God doesn't just love you. He so loves you. He so loves you. Don't you dare skip over the so. Because there's two things that are really important to think about as we um, consider God's love. On one hand, it's so important that we understand the depth and the intensity of God's love. And on the other hand, it's so important that we understand the width, the extent of God's love. The depth and the width. The intensity and the extent. And the word so here, this little word, it, it emphasizes the intensity, the depth of God's love for you. That he so loves you. It, it reminds us that the word love here is not use the way that we would often kind of flippantly use the word. Like, I love coffee. I do. I love snow on Christmas morning, which both of those things are awesome. But the depth 
of God's love for you is far different than that. The intensity of God's love for you is far deeper than that. It is deep, intense, eternal. And I want us now to consider the other side of that, the extent. Because this is really good news as well. Listen to this. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It reminds me of the scene in Revelation. So John, a few years later, same guy who wrote John 3.16, a few years later, writes about, gets a vision from God himself and writes about what is going to happen. What all of the, what the end is going to look like. And he paints this picture of the scene of when all of this reaches its conclusion. In John, in Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9, paints this beautiful picture. Listen to this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You hear that? The love of God is for the world for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The love of God is not a Jew thing. It's not a Gentile thing. The love of God is not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's not a European thing, an African thing, an Asian thing. It's none of that. The love of God is a for God so loved the world thing. And that is incredible news because our God's love is both deep and wide, wide enough and deep enough to include us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Church, his life was not taken. His life was not stolen. His life was not lost, no church. His life was Given. Jesus says later in John, he says, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And listen to this. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. That is an incredibly powerful statement. The love of God for you is so deep, extensive, and true. And the love that he has for you is not just in theory or in intentions. But his love for you put on flesh. Love came down, word became flesh, stepped into humanity, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was crucified. This was love in action that he gave his only son. This was love in the flesh. No one took his life. No one forced his hand. It was given church for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Over 2,000 years ago, a baby was born, a baby was born to a virgin, and that baby was born by a miracle, an absolute miracle of the Holy Spirit, and that baby was placed in a manger. Over 2,000 years ago, love came down and put on flesh and dwelt among us. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent his, his son into the world, born to die for the sins of the world. Hebrews 10 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I, this is Jesus speaking, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And why? One of the things we love about John 3.16 is it pulls back the curtain as to why. Why did God express his love to you and to me in this way? Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. Those are four very powerful words. Whoever believes in him. Yet again, you can see the absolute extent of his love. Think about it, church. His love was not limited by any of the things that we talked about earlier. His love is not limited by race. His love is not limited by nationality, by socioeconomic status, by age, by weight, by height, by gender, by language. No. In fact, heaven is going to be characterized from people, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation coming together to call Christ Lord. His love is not limited by any other human condition because Jesus Christ is the only qualification. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Um, there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Philippians says that one day every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In John, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And now just... Take this in. I know for some of us, our minds are kind of shifting into Christmas mode right now. But I want you to hear me here. Take this in. Whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him. Let me say it one more time. Whoever believes in him. I want to state the obvious here. You are a whoever. You are a whoever. This is you. And whoever believes in him, what? Should not perish. Should not perish. Listen, Jesus came to this earth. He lived this life. He died on the cross for your sin. He breathed his final breath, crying out, it is finished. And then he was laid in a borrowed tomb, which by the way, that is awesome. Only our Jesus would need to borrow a tomb for the weekend. That's, 
That is awesome. Because as our Bibles tell us, as history tells us, as witnesses, eyewitnesses tell us, Jesus rose literally and bodily. He rose from dead, completely, thoroughly, totally dead to alive. And when Jesus did this, I want you to hear me. This is really important. He did not just claim victory over his death. Death had no claim over him in the first place. He did not just claim absolute victory over his death, though. Jesus claimed victory over death itself. That is good news. 1 Corinthians says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul here is taunting death. That, so that now that we can say and we can know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And some of you are thinking, whoa, wait. I see Christians dying all the time. In fact, it's kind of a 100% death rate. So how can we say if you believe in him, you will not perish? What is going on here? Did you know that every single person is eternal? Every single person. The Bible says that death is not the end. The death is not the end. That when we pass away here on earth, that our spirit will continue on. In other words, the word perish here is not an idea of annihilation. Like when we die, we just go boop and we're done. No more of you. That's not a biblical understanding of death. The Bible paints a very different picture of what death looks like. Because when we pass away here, the Bible is clear that our spirit will live on. And so perish here isn't the idea of just being gone. That's not it. What perish is, is this idea of eternal ruin. Eternal separation from God. Remember the words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What hell is, is a reality without him. Eternal separation from him, a place where he is not. And that eternal ruin is more than we can describe. An eternity without the eternal source of life, an eternal separation from God. God is life and God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not experience eternal ruin, will not experience eternal separation from God, will not experience judgment for our sin eternally, but instead, listen to this, but have eternal life. Those who believe in Christ experience everlasting life. This is a new quality of life here a new quality of life that we're able to possess today, that we're able to walk in right now, and that we are able to cling to eternally. That is kept for us forever. This is the hope of the gospel. This is life abundantly and eternally, and this is the hope of our future in Christ through Advent. Think about this. We have talked about Hope, we've looked at peace and joy 
and, and love. And, and the gospel says, follow with me, for God so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that whoever believes, whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, will not perish, but will experience true and everlasting hope, peace, joy, love, both now and forever. That is the gospel, and that is ours through Jesus Christ because of the love of our God, because of the love that God demonstrated for us that while we were still dead in our sins, Jesus Christ died for us. This is the gospel. This is love in action. This is God's love in action. The gospel tells us so clearly that that you cannot reach him. You cannot reach God. You you cannot get to him, no matter how hard you try. You cannot love him perfectly. You cannot live a perfect life. You cannot earn life abundantly or eternally. So God reached down to you. So Christ came down for you. So God loved you first. And Christ loved you perfectly and lived perfectly for you, conquering death for you. And offering you life, saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, inviting you to come to the Father through him. The gospel opens our eyes to the deep love of God for us. So I want to say it again. I want to say the most profound statement. God loves you. God loves you. I've asked the band to sing one of my favorite songs. And um, the first verse of the song says it like this. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Church, that is our hope. That is our everything. This is the gospel. And so I want to close by reminding you of those four powerful words. Whoever believes in him. If you hear nothing else this evening, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this in this text. I want to remind you. You are the whoever that God had in mind. You are the whoever that God had in mind. The call this Christmas Eve for all of us is to respond, to place our trust in Christ. And if you're here and you've never responded to the gospel, what a night to do it. You'll always remember Christmas Eve of 2017. Not only because you celebrated the birth of Christ, but... You celebrate a new birth in Christ. Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection to respond to Jesus. And uh, I want to give you some time to just pray and reflect and, and respond. And then what I want us to do is, is, is celebrate communion together. Uh, and I want to invite the team to come up here. 
As the team comes up here, I've asked them to, as I said, to sing one of my favorite songs. And um, as they, in this next couple moments, as they sing, if you want to stand and sing with them, that would be great. Um, If you would like to just remain in your seats and kind of just reflect and and pray, that would be great. If you want to pray with someone around you, that would be great. If you'd like to take a moment this evening and even kneel, that would be, we invite you to do that as well. But let us together, just for a moment, let us respond. Because the love of God for you and for me is deep. And Christ demonstrated that love for us on the cross. So let us respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. And let me pray for us. And let's take a moment together to reflect. Would you pray with me? God, we cannot even fathom the the depths of your love. But we know through your word to us that because of your love for us, you sent your son. And we know that through him, we are reconciled, forgiven, restored, and adopted into your family. And we are absolutely humbled. Lord, in this moment, would you just move? Would you, through your Holy Spirit, lift our eyes to Christ? Would you open our hearts to your love? Would you cause us to respond this evening? Lord, would you continue to move?